0: Hey, it's Nellie. And it's Juno. And you're listening to Two Addies and Coffee, Please. Where we share unfiltered life experiences as young, badass Asian American women with ADHD. Welcome to another episode of Two Addies and a Coffee, Please. Today, we have a really special guest, Henry Zhang. He is a doctoral student at the Rutgers University Graduate School of Applied and Professional Psychology, freelance programmer for psychologists, a longtime practitioner of Thai boxing, wrestling and jujitsu, and an Asian American with ADHD and on the spectrum. So thank you so much for joining us, Henry. Um, Could you introduce a little bit about yourself for our listeners?
1: So hi, uh, G- um, Juno, Nelly. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, that's sort of me in a, a nutshell. I'm also the co-founder of Dragon Combat Club. I'm gonna start going to circle like, going into how I founded it, uh, what I'm doing. And I've done martial arts for a very long time, but with recent times, I've also picked up a weapon-safe martial called called Pekiti Tershikali, which I'm also going to get into. Like, how did they get to a point where I've done MMA for like 10 years? How did I end up teaching other people? So... And like, upon reflecting, I'm kind of realizing like how much ADHD and autism, but particularly being on the autism spectrum, sort of played a role into like what I do or what I've actually done.
2: I think what I'm most curious about, and I feel like our listeners are also super curious about, is um, your experience with being um, someone on the spectrum as well as having ADHD. To start off, we'll define some terms. So according to the National Institute of Mental Health, ADHD is defined as a persistent
0: pattern of inattention and or hyperactivity and impulsivity. And autism spectrum disorder is a developmental disorder that affects communication, interactions with other people, interests and behaviors. And it's a spectrum disorder because there's a wide variation in the type and severity of symptoms people experience.
2: So, what's one thing that you would like neurotypical individuals to understand, or what's so
1: misunderstood about autism? Um, that we're not all the same. That that's that, that that's sort of we're all the same. We're not all the same. So, I'm also a school. I'm I was a former school psychologist. I worked in EI, and I think back in the day, they would be like, "Oh, this kid can talk. This kid has eye contact. He doesn't have autism." I'm like, "Yeah, but the kid's like four, five. The kid's 18. Mm-hmm. By then, you can talk, right? Developmentally, like the, the expectations change, right?" Um we are not the same. Um, there's also a stereotype that I know that, like, you know, they're, they're all, like, they all have, like, a splinter skill. Um, many do, right? There are, unfortunately, many that don't, so don't let that surprise you if they don't have, like, that special uh, skill. Um, certain people are what we call 2E, twice exceptional. Uh, some aren't. Uh, you know, like I said, if you meet one kid on the spectrum uh, or one adult on the spectrum, right, you don't. You might have just met that adult. Uh, I do meet some of the stereotypes on it uh, of, of, I'll be on the spectrum. Like I have very advanced pattern recognition. I do have a very eidetic memory, which is comes in very handy. Which actually came in handy, sort of later on. And there's and the thing is that what do you have? A lot of it is sort of the socialization, right? So it took me a while to understand of mind. Because I had, because I can see stuff. I can see through. I have a good like visual memory. So I can almost see through a wall. I can memorize a map. I know which I can. I know what direction I'm looking at if I'm in New York City, just because of triangulation of objects, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or even when I was five, I memorized all the subway maps. So you have all this stuff in your head, and also don't forget. Oh, I also multiplied to like eleven when I was like five. And whatnot? Grandma drilled. Oh wow! <laughs> Wasn't developmentally appropriate, but it worked on me, right? And you're like, oh, this is great, right? This is wonderful, right? When you like assume that the other all the other people know the exact same thing you do, mm-hmm. and it's really frustrating, right? And you're like, "What the fuck? You don't know this shit!" Like you know, like <laughs> yeah. you know, you curse, them. you don't have the best social skills. You you curse them out, you call them idiots. And, you know that's not very conducive to uh, making friends, right? Or you pick up like terminology that's not really socially appropriate for a situation, and you know it makes you very like I guess it could make you very nerdy. It could be overly pedantic. So um, I've had to learn how to code switch actually. Like like Mm. when to talk, like talk like an academic. When to talk, like you know, like maybe like somebody, you know, talk to someone that hasn't necessarily had education. Understand, like when to connect with somebody. Um, And also, of course, there's the verbal, like there's the idea of masking. People who are autistic, and you know, they they have typical or above average cognitive functioning. They can map. They can disguise themselves as neurotypicals, right? Because why? I want to get my fucking job. I don't want to be discriminated against. Right, or for me, I've had a history of being discriminated against, right? I've lost people, you know, like there was, you know, somebody else close to, and her mom says, you know, this kid doesn't have a future because you know he's on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh fuck, well, I have to mask for like the next ten years, right? Make sure nobody mm-hmm. knows that, And that's very tiring. That is yeah. super, super tiring. So I have to know when to mask, when I why should when when it's okay not to mask, or when it's even appropriate to mm-hmm. to be completely like unfiltered, because as I've discovered recently, there are times when it's useful especially very Asian American, but we'll get to that later.
2: I can definitely like empathize with that. Being unable to yeah. be fully yourself and mm-hmm. being afraid that other people will have certain stigma, discrimination yeah. against you. Mm-hmm. So like backtracking a little bit, when was the first time you got diagnosed or that oh, was fine. Got it. You brought
1: me to America, and then boom, something was up. Uh, what happened was was that I was so I lived with my grandma. Tell until, us uh, until I my mom went and dad by biological father because he's not in my fucking life. But he moved he moved here right, and basically they moved here. My grandma took care of me, age five. I I I came here, and then like I was like reciting these poems in Chinese, which I can't fucking read anymore. But <laughs> I was reciting them, and then you know I was like, look, he can read so well. He he has all this memory and whatnot so i had trouble reading um uh, really trouble I, I just i read the words fine it's just i didn't understand what the fuck you're going on and because i could memorize what people said i just like copied around and then got away with that until college um where right, i was like asleep and i could hear what they're saying and then boop and i just answered correctly or i had this thing where i was good at multiple choice actually cheated my way through high school where uh because i i knew the person i knew like the teacher's pattern i don't know if you ever play metal gear solid right where you have to, like sneak around the guards and whatnot so i memorized <laughs> the teacher's pattern for like when they'll walk and then and then I'll, I'll look at the paper, and it also I have, I can see stuff very quickly. So I can tell if they change the test form from test A and test B. Mm-hmm. One, if it's test A one to twenty five, right, and that is test B's twenty six to fifty, and vice versa, I can see the pattern very quickly just by a few by a few snapshots. So that was enough. Like that was enough for me to basically copy off tests in high school.
0: Wow! Oh wow! I think it's really interesting that you talk. Um, you mentioned twice exceptional before, and it can be definitely really confusing because you don't fit some of the requirements <laughs> or expectations of neurotypicals. But then mm-hmm. you might be like brilliant in other ways, like especially with your coping mechanisms or just random like skills that aren't mm-hmm. as typical with among mm-hmm. other people. I know uh, my brother also was uh, encouraged to stay like a year back multiple times, but now he's doing. And but later in high school, he went to like a specialized high school and things oh, were going on really well. So it's really you know, hard to like measure ourselves against others.
1: Yeah. Oh, I went to tech. Yeah. I was, a, uh, you know, mm-hmm. my mom was very disappointed. I think it was it. But, uh, you know, <laughs> the rest of the world thinks I'm smart, just not my mom. <laughs>
0: I am curious, like, how how do you think it's affected your self-esteem, like, being um, not necessarily mean to expectations <clears throat> in certain areas, but excelling in other
1: areas? It's It's been a really weird fucking journey. So if you ask me, like, in a different year of my life, I'll tell you a different answer. Uh, because you see, I had no idea, like, why I was fucking up until, like, age 19. Like, there was... Like, so I was diagnosed with ADHD at age 19 because I got kicked out of school. All, right, all those covid mechanisms vaccines weren't working, right? It wasn't working anymore. I The day about my is it, it requires you to actually read this stuff, right? Uh, all those little, uh, little tricks of hearing what they say, copying them, And like, so I was fucked and I I got kicked out. And then they found out that I had ADHD on top of what they would call Asperger's uh, because there was no meds for Asperger's at the time. And back in the day... They um, couldn't diagnose both, and there was no meds for Asperger's, right? They just diagnosed with ADHD, and so I took these meds. I-, I tell people a story like every now and then, and people think I'm fucking crazy. Like the colors, like I took the t- it was uh, like the colors of the world like suddenly got more vibrant. And I started like noticing details and shit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, and they're like when well, I read the test, I'm like, oh fuck, this thing has meaning. I'm actually like connecting patterns and whatnot. But also coming really paranoid because I'm like thinking about people, like what they're saying. I'm like that person who said they like me as a friend. That was a euphemism for, like, they don't they don't, they don't want to get away. Like, I'm like, oh, shit. like Or, like, realize I'm like, wait, people don't mean what they say? Like, I don't know. It was like a weird mm-hmm. revelation. Like, there was a lot of paranoia and whatnot uh, in me. Sort of went to the meds. And also, it was like, it's just, like all this shit just coming. It also happened when I was trying to, like, crawl my way out, out of uh, academic dismissal and redeem myself. So, mm-hmm. when I was five, like, my kindergarten teacher was super, 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 like, concerned that I couldn't really follow any directions. Like, oh, this kid needs a like, special ed. First grade, mm-hmm. this kid is smart. Can't follow the direction of shit. I didn't even say that, but you know, they probably thought that, right? These special ed, right? Second grade, same thing, right? They kept asking my monitor for, for an email, and then she finally caved in dirt grade, and then she denied services <clears throat> and never told me about it. So I was like struggling my entire life.
2: And then adding on to that, you mentioned not being able to really pick up on what people are saying whether they actually mean it or there's like a double meaning so can you elaborate on what are those like social oh, norms or social i couldn't, do that? That
1: at all. I couldn't fucking do that before before age 19 like um i I just couldn't i mean if you explain it to me I would know mm-hmm. but, so I'm like okay I, I get it next time right but if you did explain it to me like like sarcasm I was sometimes they'll pick up it's like inconsistent and I'll get to that later but like people had to explain it to me for me to get, and then and then I would get it right Right? So it's not like I could never get it. It's just that somebody had to fucking explain it to me for me to get it. Yeah. For example, I only like you as a friend. It's like, oh, you're only a your friend. Well, let me just keep following this person until you like me, right? <laughs> <laughs> that just, that just, I mean, it sounds nice in retrospect, but I probably creeped – I know that creeped the fuck out of a lot of people in high school. You know? <laughs> I started realizing, oh, fuck, there's a double meaning. But not because of that, but because I was making connections between what they were saying and their actions. I'm like, these people are fucking lying. Mm. They don't mean that they don't care about their appearance. Because like, when I took the meds, I also – like couldn't stand some people i hung out with anymore so i isolated myself i started training martial arts like on and off <laughs> like unofficially and then like i lost 30 pounds and all of a sudden the way people looked at me was very very different and like everything's just like
2: or how has like having autism and adhd affected like the relationships building friendships um in social situations like that
1: i think autism i think that still sticks with me is that mm-hmm. i have friends that I share hobbies with. Other than my fiance, but my fiance, we watch movies together, you know, day other, but other than that, either we went to school together and, you know, we were tight because we wanted to get over activities and, you know, somehow like we connected, you know, I, I trusted you that, like I had a really close friend in my master program. We train martial arts together. We shot videos together, or we were, I, I don't make friends for the sake of making friends. It's just,
0: mm.
1: why? Like, I understand like neurotypicals do that, but for me, I'm like, why? oh
2: interesting
1: (laughs) what's the fucking point you know
2: um would you say you know more extroverted or introverted
1: or like never been able to answer that question because i could talk all day i go on a podcast um as you'll fear later i later went on a speech where people were very shocked that i actually said what i said um i'm like you know i'm very outspoken you know when i have to be but i don't like to go out and make friends for the sake of making friends you know it's it's just like weird Mm -hmm.
0: I think I relate, but like for a different reason and maybe to a smaller extent. I used to think that too, that to have friends with someone or to keep friends with someone, I had to create an activity to do together or a project we were working on together. Um, But when you don't see the point of being friends, is it like the point of having people around you and having like friendly conversation with people around you? Or is it just the idea that you don't understand having like a continuous relationship with one well,
1: person. we still continue we check in on each other but i don't i don't make the point to, to like you know like if you do want to hang out we hang out like my, my my kindergarten buddy my friend from first grade out like i try to see him when we're not busy you know like we have a mm-hmm. lot we have he, we found out he has adhd still so, as well um, you know like i'm happy to see him again but uh, that's existing friends, right? But calling out to make new friends for the sake of making new mm-hmm. friends, this never made sense to me.
2: But you reached out to us and I feel like now we can develop <laughs> a friendship.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. No, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. It was it was weird. Yeah, you're right. I didn't do that, yes. I don't know. I'm just like, why not? Why the fuck not? it's interesting, it's such like a 180 turn because um twenty nine but twenty nineteen, right? I was I was very close about my condition. Now I'm like, hey guys, hey, I'm about the spectrum over there Talk to me, right? Um <laughs> No, I just figured, why not, you know, let's see what happens, and maybe have something nice to offer, you know, for to help people out, and, yeah. and maybe help people understand, because, you know, like you, you said, I think I, I connected with your message in that the representation of sort of a neurodiversity is very limited in terms of ethnicity, and also other factors, right, you know, LGBTQ, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure I won't be surprised, so why not help out?
2: Yeah, I definitely agree, like, the representation of neurodivergent people is not really representative, even though we always say, like, oh, we want to be inclusive and diverse at work, I feel like it's rarely actioned on in reality.
1: Uh, yeah, that, so, about that, I feel like when they do take action on it, it's like. Uh, yeah, like a check, like, check this off. Not, like, understanding why diversity is important, right? Already to shove someone in, and then they make you fit that mold anyways, mm. All right. And that creates some of the problems that we have today, which uh, you, you can tell, uh, I think you know which one I'm talking about, but we'll segue mm-hmm. to that when you, when you ask me.
2: Yeah. So I remember when I was working um, at like a corporate job in my mm-hmm. internship, and then mm-hmm. I had a coworker who has Asperger's, and he was really upfront in communicating that with all of us, our coworkers. So we were very in tune in terms of what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were. And there was one thing that he really struggled with was understanding like social cues. So when he answered the phone, he wouldn't <laughs> say hello. And he would just like hang up right after he got an answer. And I think understanding and being empathetic to what he knows and doesn't know, I would just say like, Oh, this is what you need to say. I don't know why we need to do this. It's just social norms. So I like, just do it. And And then he really appreciated that feedback. um, And I think it helped him progress further. But I think a lot of times if we are suppressed in actually saying that we have X, Y or Z because of that stigma and discrimination. So do you have any advice for people who are dealing with certain mental health issues and they feel like they can't really speak out on it or get mentorship or advice in any way?
1: Uh, So I'll be very honest, read the room. I mean, like I said, I've been ostracized uh, for my condition before, but then Mm -hmm. I've also been very welcome for my condition before. If you are not (laughs) open to telling them what you have, because unfortunately a lot of the world is not fucking educated about it. Right. You have every right to be concerned. Like, you know, I feel like you have to be in a relatively privileged space in some way, shape or form for people to be open for it. For example, being in the United States of America versus another country. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I want to sort of put that out there. That being said, if I feel like at a minimum you want to say you want to request for accommodations and you want to be specific about what kind of accommodations you you have and start with there and see if they can work with it.
2: A lot of um, the struggles that you have are related to autism, ADHD, and being Asian American is another part of your identity, and with that comes its own struggles. So can you elaborate a little bit more on like having all of these social identities? intersect and your experience and what has been going on in the climate of social issues today.
1: And then twenty twenty <laughs> hit, right? COVID nineteen hit. And then that and then and fucking that orange motherfucker was like charter virus, hung flu, and fucking just kept repeating it. China will be accountable. Of course they're not nobody's gonna swim across the Pacific Ocean and you'll fuck up the Chinese government, right? They'll probably get shot in the spot. So guess what? They start attacking anyone else Asian mm-hmm. Asian that created, like that, that made the Asian American like like that, that it's like okay. Now that became like out of all my identities, being Asian American became or Chinese American became like the most dip like the mo- one that created the most burdens on the list.
2: Prior to COVID happening, the racism towards Asians was always there, but yeah. I think COVID just unveiled the curtains, and now it's just blatant anti-Asian yeah, sentiment. Asian. And I think for me, when COVID hit, that was my immediate thought on the violence on Asian Americans. It wasn't even like, oh, this might not happen. In my mind, I was yes. like, yeah, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when and how
1: bad. Or yeah, when and how bad. Well, the thing, well, we knew because think about it, right? When 9-11 happened, right? Bush was at least somewhat polite about saying like, hey, it's not all of them, you know? Some of them <laughs> are nice, you know, something like that, right? So right? He made a disclaimer to try to calm people down. And they still got fucked up and killed anyways, as opposed to 45, where he's like, he doubles down on that shit. He he just keeps doing that, and he just incites more and more. It's like, well, if you do the math, you know exactly what's going to happen to us, right? So yeah, it's unfortunate that I'm like making these calculations, but unfortunately, it also ended up being true. And yeah, that ended up being like the most – that's made it the most difficult identity sort of to hold – um, because of that, right? It, it suddenly it, it swapped things around. Like, how how did it? Well, I mean, a I learned how to adapt being you know, autistic, but then b it's like boom, right? The the social the social cultural change.
0: I really appreciated uh, when you invited us to. Um, a martial arts lesson that you were giving for Mm -hmm. self-defense. Could you elaborate a little bit more on like what motivated you to take some of these initiatives to raise awareness um, and some of the other um, activities you were doing towards that?
2: Just as a disclaimer, we support
0: self-defense
2: but do not condone and do not advocate for hate speech or violence.
1: Okay. So I want to, I guess I'm going to rewind back to uh, February or March when we were, where we were all getting fucked up for the color of our skin, literally like, it's very plain shit, right? Um, we need, like, you, me, Juno, Nelly, like, all three of us knew about it, right? Did the rest of the world know about it? No, unless they were, like, close friends with us and you really confided with them, right? The schools had no idea, right? So where did we go? We went to these, like, like crimes against Asians and, like, a bunch of other groups that watched, that sort of monitored specifically for anti-Asian racism, right? Because we were like, yo, this is happening. Let's be there. You know, let's 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 monitor and see what's happening. I'm like, check my social media, I'm on Discord, it's like better hate crime I'm like, I've been training people how to prepare for the last ten months, how to deal with violent hate crimes. What is the worst thing I could possibly see? And I I see I see I see the Vicha dude, eighty four year old uh, elderly Thai male, straight murder was head shut to the Right? I'm like that's the wrong fucking question. For me to ask myself like that, like why did I ask myself that? So I was like, and it, my stomach was in knots for like the next three days. Well, I think it was two weeks ago. Three, I don't know I lost track of time. Maybe it was two weeks ago. <clears throat> was it not? And like, I, I I had this headache. It was just horrible. I was like, just shelled myself, going to externship and going to class, and like, it took. And the fact that people were like guess like just silence of other people, and the very fact that like. There were more attacks at the same nature happening. It's just that they didn't die. Like, yay. But no, it's so horrible, right? Um, and the fact that there were some people were like, oh, well, if you share this, you're automatically anti-black. You're promoting anti-blackness. Mind you, the guy who murdered bitch is brown, so what the fuck? But it just, like, um, like that just that just pissed me off more and more. And, and I just felt like I was a nut. And I'm in psychology graduate school, and I have a very supportive group of folks, uh, folks on diversity, uh, short food. Very, and they had to like pat, mentally patch me back together. Like they had to like stitch me back together for like the next three days. Repeatedly checking on me. I just, uh, I love you. If you're, if you're hearing this podcast, I love you guys. I can't, I couldn't do this without you guys. Um, but I was like, it, was, it, was, it really fucked me up. The person who interviewed me in the story read my story. She's like, Henry, I noticed that every time you guys go through like this tragedy, this horrific tragedy, you guys come back a lot stronger. I'm like... Well what the fuck is that? how am I gonna and it, I'm hearing news of all these people who are volunteering to take the safety of the elderly into their own hands. The Bay Area. I'm like, Well, I'm gonna train I'm gonna I'm gonna metaphorically arm these people. I'm gonna make races afraid again. So I reached out to Bay Area, I'm trying to get people to like and then you know it wasn't just Asians, it was also the Brown Berets. All right, so they're Chicano, you know, they deal with their own shit, but then they're like, Oh, you know, we're, we're not Asian, but we will not stand for this at all. And it, I'm like, All right, I'll train two of your crew and I've been right and there are some people who are staying up with patrols in the university i'm gonna try to train them as well and i'm doing a fundraiser uh, in an hour well that's my purpose right training these guys training these ladies a lot of these people who are volunteer they are females like a friend speech language pathologist no previous combat training right but she wants to take the internal hand i'm like all right i'm gonna get the fuck in here get the fuck in here come to the club burn your shit you know and i don't want you to die like, I, like every every day i'm like i'm like I I hope you're not like I hope they're okay. Like I'm actually concerned about their safety sort of at this very moment. So, because it's very personal to me, um, even if I'm not physically there, you know, because my training is what's gonna keep there. It's not like oh they might have to defend themselves. They are walking. They are walking into the kind of shit that horrifies people on the news. That's been over and over again, which is has finally it, it finally broke the silence. By the way, so yeah, as you so. You know, after a while, um, I think, like, recently, you know, it finally hit mainstream media that we've been getting attacked. It's like the Columbus. It's like, hey, look, we discovered anti-Asian hate crimes. I'm like, we've been at fucking war for the entire year. What the hell? Around the time I presidential debate, one line he said that really disturbed me, right? It was stand back and stand by. I'm like, let me rewatch that video. And be like, see what the f-? I'm like, oh fuck, he really meant it. I'm, I, I, I am second guessing myself. I'm like, did he take this? Are we taking this out of context? I'm like, nope, we did not take this out of context. And you know, as sort of a Chinese American who has seen the impact of what happened when he just called a China virus, right? This is sort of a very callous thing, right? And seeing what happened to us, and then seeing him say, stand back, stand by, which is a very intentional act of war, right? It's a call to action. It's not your responsibility just to be able to train. You will need to train your family for what is to come. And around that time, it was a Japanese dude who got his arm broken by like eight different dudes in New York City.
0: Yeah, I was reading your article earlier, and I think you mentioned a statistic that there was an 845 percent increase in anti-Asian hate crimes compared World to, to previous years. years combined, and at the bottom you linked like a list of every month all of the different hate crimes against Asian mm-hmm. Americans in the well, U.S. And back Canada. in October, yeah, and that really shocked me because I was like, "Wow, this is really quiet."
1: So I had this, I had this really wonderful and really sweet classmate named Rodwell, but I didn't really want to bother her about my stuff because she was just fucking traumatized. Four months ago, most like I don't want to speak for her, but I'm pretty sure she was pretty fucking horrified. Four months ago, because four months before October was George Floyd's murder. I'm like, all right, she's going through a lot. I I, I didn't want to like really talk. Like, I didn't really want to bother her per se, but it, I just felt really horrible. I just explained to her like, I don't like this. I have been doing, you know, I've been literally training every day for the last six months uh, to defend people that I give a shit about from violent racism because no one talks about it. I don't have any way to protect them and then i try to normalize them like you know whatever like, at least uh, they're not police and like she was just like horrified and shook and I, and I was like shocked that she was shocked right all right and then i told a bunch of other students in my program and they were shocked and i think what happened i kind of realized what the shock was because we're told not to speak up right the, all the guys what do you call the bubble liberals the ones who pretend to be woke right We're told not to speak up because we because we shouldn't offend the Black Americans who are suffering, right? They were always using the other people's suffering to like to erase us, right? But then here I am and telling it to them, and like it's the Black Americans who are the most shocked, and they're the ones who are the most vocal. Somebody, these institutions can't be silent about this. You, someone has to do something. And then I'm telling this to my coach, at Chad, I'm like, Chad, people care. Like. Oh my God, I'm glad people care. It just means they're ignorant. Great. Now you have to tell them something. I'm like, let me tell them something. But like, you have to find a way to tell things up. And he was explaining to me how, like, he saw social dilemma and how there's, like, this echo chamber, right? And how because Asians are not politically important, we're not in a news cycle. And then someone is going to shake things up or else we're going to be in the dark for decades to come. How many people are going to be hurt? How many people are going to die? And how... Right. And that means that all these people who are supposedly anti-racist would be complicit. Right. And that was the vision that I really horrific vision that I saw if nobody spoke up. So I emailed my professor. I emailed one of my friends. I'm like, this is what I've been doing. I've been training people. Recently, I showed all these articles, I'm like, I'm like, I like i do not want to be racist. I'm like, I want to speak out two days before a meeting. And then I basically and then I told them like the life that I lived. And then like the entire school was like super horrified, and super shook. And they emailed my story, not just to all the students, but also all the alumni, in a bunch of organizations. I made. Mean, all the professors said, you know, were to change our syllabus." Uh, you know, we had no idea. You know, we've been kind of ignorant about this all this time. You know, and- the thing is that, like, we went through, like, a few, like, workshops where it was about the racism pandemic, but, like, there was no mention about Asian Americans. What You know, I was hoping that, like, what I said would eventually inspire others to speak up, and they did. And, in fact, a lot of the people, they decided to interview me for their uh, diversity kind of class project, right, because they wanted to learn more about, like, what they weren't. And I would ex- and I would explain to them sort of the gaslighter, sort of the virtue, you know, like, what the violence, how we were erased, how, like, as Asian Americans, we, like, at least, like the ones who had my ideology and my beliefs, who couldn't really voice it, right? We were trying to figure out how to help our marginalized, uh, you know, our other, you know, folks from other marginalized groups, and survive at the same time, right? Because because it, it, white supremacy tricked us into thinking we didn't have a choice, and a lot of us, decide a few of us, a handful of us, followed this very difficult path that we had no words for, aside from introducing the uh, sort of to, to uh, anti-asian hate crimes i also introduced them to a movement called they can't burn us all because around the same time i was running dcc in the summer in august an 84 year old lady was set on fire they had to mention it earlier right and nobody fucking knew about it right it was, it was just completely erased uh, by the by, by the media right and they were set accept- it's, it's not a political movement it's a cultural it's asking for a cultural change And whatnot, so they got they got exposed to it, and that's actually how I got linked with they can't burn us all because of a series of accidents thanks to sort of this very you know powerful empathy of a classmate of mine you know who um, I accidentally introduced all these people to anti Asian crimes and the the movement they can't burn us (laughs) all.
2: I think there's so many like different issues at play here where the most vulnerable Asian Americans are getting targeted, usually elderly Asian Americans. Um, they don't know English, and they might be first-generation immigrants. That makes them a target in not having their voices heard. Because if you can't speak the language or have any, like, power, wealth, connections, that makes you so much less of an important, quote-unquote, story to tell.
1: Because after I gave my speech, and it wasn't by FNRF McNamara and minorities, it was by their own people, by Asian-Americans in these ivory towers, who did speak the language. But didn't live the same experiences, right? They lived in sort of these suburbs. And around the same time, a lot of other people came forward about being gaslit, about being invalidated. I don't want to say that the racism that you face when you're only upper class, when you're upper class is invalid. No, like your suffering is valid, but they assume that their experiences, the ones who did have voices, they assume that their experiences generalized across all Asian Americans, which as we all know, is clearly fucking bullshit. And I was very scared that because of all that anger that people would not understand where that anger came from, right? Because nothing nothing excuses vitriol, nothing excuses dehumanization, but I was afraid that things would get so bad that people would be lost as to why we were angry, where that rage is coming from, right? And I'm like, you know what? I need to write a story about what happened in 2020, why things were fucked up the way it is, why people are so angry, why a doctoral student in psychology decided to start his own fight club and why it it literally fell on like a few outcasts to break the silence about anti-asian racism when the people who spoke were supposed to speak up for us didn't say shit or they did say shit but it was to like fucking like we were practically drenched knee-deep in blood and they're yelling at us to tell us to check our privilege and like our anger like Really, so I had to write. So I that was a really tiring story to write. You know, like my my BIPOC, my other my non Asian bi friends, they, they loved that. They, they like, oh wow, as a black, you know, I could really relate to it. There were a lot of Asian Americans who were essentially because the terms anti blackness or privilege were weaponized against them to just to to erase their suffering. They were like, wow, we need to talk about this, but in a very nuanced way. That's so great, you know, people are coming together. I sh- I shared the story time, and they were like. Can I teach this in my program? Like, oh, shit, yeah. So now they teach this very crude, profanity, written narrative by an Asian American as part of their systems theory an analysis class because it talks about multi- multiple intersectional systems at once. And that's what you need to understand to deal with anti-Asian racism and anti-Black racism at the same time, which is what's necessary because it's so interwoven together, as people have literally just fucking found out
2: the first article I saw was back in March of 2020, where a man in Brooklyn was stabbed like a horrific amount of times and he was just bleeding out. And there was no other mainstream media that was covering this. I think what's so surprising is that, like the Thai man, this attack happened in San Francisco, San Francisco is like, supposed to be liberal and progressive. And, you know, all of these issues are supposed to be at the forefront of people's mind, like being anti-racist, being like, whoa, quote unquote, but it's more about intellectualizing this and talking in theory and saying the correct political words, but not actually doing any actions or actually changing the mindset of people, but you're just covering it up in, in a way.
1: When you see equity as checking checkboxes, boom, you throw Asian Americans on a bus. When you see checkboxes, right? You fix one problem, but you don't address the underlying cause, uh, cause of it. The people who have been the most articulate about what the fuck we're going through are the black activists. The ones that are explaining like, yo, do not do this. Do not use this erasure. Like they were laying it down. They were explaining how we were feeling. I'm like, why are my other Asian American folks not able to convey this? What is like, why? We got to do better. Like, you know, like, I'm very happy. So, for our allies. so
0: do you have any advice for the Asian American community on how we can speak up and take action?
1: It's up to us to become better ourselves. Don't wait for what your leader is going to say. Don't wait for what your politicians are going to say. Do that shit yourself. Start. Mm-hmm. Small. We are the change we've been waiting for. That's his philosophy. And mine is basically become the solution, right? We have to really become the solution ourselves. We can't wait for other people to solve our problems, especially if they don't give a fuck about our problems. Mm-hmm. And,
0: Do you uh, have any um, advice on how to develop that? <laughs> awareness and um, become more articulate about these problems and finding the support you need to have these conversations when other people might be invalidating some of them.
1: So right now, a lot of Asian American it's still being invalid, even though it's on mainstream news, which is weird. It's just fucking weird. I'm like, God damn, like white supremacy is so tricky. It programs people to do this fucking stupid shit. So I've, I'm, I don't even have conversations. I'm like, mm-hmm. let me see who's concerned about it. Let's see what we can do about it. Fucking do it, document it, and move on. And just mm. keep going, right? You got to build that positivity. Um, take it. Like, find some people and take action, right? Like it doesn't have to be a marching for me. i was starting a fight club, but I've that's the thing. People call me like Henry, you're doing. You're such a powerful activist. You're a great. I don't see myself as an activist. Like I'm just a kid that knows how to fight and like happen to be able to explain shit to other people because I went grad school, you know, taught about learning and behavior. So now I'm doing it, and that's what I want to push. You know, that, you know, if you're angry, we need to find a way to do something about it. Now, so that's action, right? But how do you articulate it? Because the problem is that people have historically had trouble articulating because here's the thing. Oh, don't offend the black guy, right? Even after I gave my speech, like, oh, how do the black people feel about it? They love my speech. They understood. You know why? I didn't blame it on them. I talked about how I. You know, I'm very concerned about the safety and well being of my family and people aren't trained right now. Have contact with right? they're in danger too, right? And we have to talk about it. And, and that is not okay. I think it's important that when we speak, it has to be from a place of not dismissal of other people, just mm-hmm. so we could take their shit away. Like that's what the scarcity mindset promotes, right? Concern for the people that you love. You have to start there. You have to stay there. That's what you want to focus on when you articulate it.
2: I think it's amazing that you used your skill sets. And the strengths that you have a hobby in for martial arts. And you're trying mm-hmm. to use that in conjunction for the values and beliefs mm-hmm. that you support of speaking up and protecting your loved ones. So I think combining those two shows us that we can do a lot more mm-hmm. than we think we can. So instead of relying on politicians or like media mm-hmm. or whatever, we can speak up like mm-hmm. going on this podcast and speaking with English. us about your experiences, writing about it. I think there's so much we can do mm-hmm. on our day-to-day lives That Mm -hmm. other people think that, oh, this is not going to make a change. But even if you affect like one person or a couple of your friends or even like a friend's friend to think about these issues, it creates an effect that's so much greater than what your expectations might be. Yeah. So, like, thank you so much for sharing your story here.
1: Yeah. And sort of the other thing I want to talk about is sort of actions versus words, right? You know, when they think solid, when they think it's not possible to be pro Asian, pro Black at the same time, you show that with your actions. (laughs) right show that with reactions because as i understand as sort of as somebody who's like uh, you know autistic that i have many ideas that can't be conveyed in words or i just don't have the fucking patience to be able to convince you words so it's better that i just show it to you right away and have you figure out how the hell that happened
2: that's amazing i think you're super inspiring I love hearing you talk about these issues that you're super passionate about and it's doing so much good for the Asian American community as well as the neurodivergent community that you are embodying those different identities and bringing them together and raising these issues up to the mainstream population that Mm -hmm. might have been ignoring or not even listening.
1: Yeah. So thank you guys so much for having me, you know, um,
2: um, like your experiences in activism and raising these anti-Asian racist crimes, but also like your experiences as an autistic person and having ADHD and all those struggles. So all of these are like very intertwined. Um, so thank you so
0: much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Two Addies and a Coffee P-